This week we delve back into Earth's Forbidden Secrets with part five. I know we say part four at the start of this one, however, we got our numbers mixed up somewhere along the way. We're recording these in the background, so there's another two of these in the bag, so I think we might go back to back with some Earth's Forbidden Secrets to start chewing through this book. I've been really appreciative of the quality of the guests that have come on recently, and I can't express enough appreciation to Laura and Dan and Steve and all the other excellent people we've had on of late. Bodie Sanders is definitely on that list. We know the deal with these ones by now, so we're just going to dive straight back into the book. Look us up, Unlocking the Code, Facebook, Instagram. We're on Patreon, Unlocking the Code. If you want to swing a couple of bucks our way, that'd be awesome. That's it for me. Not too sure on the music again this week. However, enjoy whatever's coming next. Look after yourselves. Be kind. Be cool. Stay safe. Be disciplined. And we'll talk soon. Cheers.
Mate, we are back again. Bonjour. How are you? <laughs> Bonjour. Is that French to Oka Aussie? Yeah. Yeah. Bonjour. How are you? How are you? Uh, mate, I'm good. You know, I'm good because we're here and we're back <sighs> and we're digging into Earth's unknown secrets, forbidden secrets, forbidden secrets. <laughs> Part uh, quattro. Yeah. Before yeah. we get into that, mate, mate, uh, I don't have much before we start today. Do you want to? Let's just jump into the article. You can flick us over this article because it's uh, it's a meaty one. It is a meaty one. We decided instead of doing two articles, we're just going to do one, and we've got. A couple of boys have liked the article off the page. Yes. So the article is, uh, I'll do the first five, mate. You want to bring us home? Sure, boy. Uh, Ten things the ancients did better than us. And it was up on Unlocking the Code. And Shane, Spencer, Leslie, John R. and John M. Uh, Well, guess what? The two Johns. Guess what? We are John, John. We are not sharing. We are not sharing. We are not sharing. Now we are sharing. Now we are sharing. Okay. So 10 things the agents did better than us. And look, the reason, obviously, I posted to the page is because it's right up our alley. Um, of course it is. And we had a double check of it tonight, and it's quite good. Now, April Holloway. The, the grammar didn't look as bad as what uh, the some last, of the other ones yeah, were. Yeah, last couple of and, and like you say, April Holloway, we, we actually have an author, we whereas the other author, ones yeah. were anonymous. Anonymous. That's probably a good thing, too. Uh so, April, this is on uh, ancientorigins.net. Uh, just a couple of decades ago, the people of ancient civilizations were viewed as simple, primitive people. However, numerous discoveries since then have revealed a number of surprising facts about ancient cultures, namely that many of them possessed an advanced knowledge of metallurgy, mathematics, chemistry, astronomy, and more. With this knowledge, they forged steel stronger than anything else seen until the Industrial Resolution, Revolution, Created a recipe for concrete so durable with that the buildings, oh, missed it. The buildings would endure for millennia longer than the constructions of today. Cut stones assembled and assembled walls so precisely that attempts at modern day replications have failed. Scientists are still scratching their heads over some of the amazing accomplishments of ancient civilizations. Here we feature ten of them. And look, we just had. Uh, Stephen on the podcast, really appreciate him coming on. Uh, and obviously, he was talking to us about hydro technology, and that's something we've touched on here more than once. Where the hydro side of things, I definitely think, comes into play. Yeah, and and listen to what Stephen had to put down. You know, some of it, some of his theories and ideas were were quite um, quite good. You know, as in the whole the barge idea, mm-hmm. um, the crane idea. Mm-hmm. I liked all that. It's just some of the finer details I wanted some more information on, you know, like mm-hmm. how did they attach the crane to the stones? Mm-hmm. Uh, how did they get the water up the pyramid? Mm-hmm. How, you know, how did they get it to site? Yeah. Because if it's going up locks sort of thing, how are you yeah, raising that water? Yeah. And I think he did come up with the, like maybe the site was like spring fed or something spring like fed that. Or like, yeah, was feeding the which, site. Which spring fed works better for me because like we work off our great artesian basin here yeah. in australia and yeah. uh, in a lot of places it's actually pressurized yes i don't know how many head you could get on it but at least that's going to assist with yeah. some of with the, the issues of pressure, they had the so issues, yeah. Yeah. yeah but no that's it's it's interesting man and like we said in the conversation prior to hitting record it's it's all mirrors on the mirror board absolutely yep it's just another perspective on this ancient mystery absolutely absolutely and i totally agree i really appreciated steve's time and, and uh, all the best to him Aqueducts and hydro technology. 
who would have thought that 21st century governments would be looking to a 1,500-year-old technology for guidance on how to solve water access problems? But that is exactly what is happening in Lima, Peru. Peru has been facing severe water crisis as chronic problems such as polluted water supplies and environmental change combined to undermine the water security of the entire country. However, a new plan has been put forward by Lima's water utility company, Cetapal, to revive an ancient network of stone canals that were built by the Wari culture as early as 500 AD in order to supply the population with clean, unpolluted water. The Wari built an advanced water conservation system that captured mountain water during the rainy season via canals. The canals transported the water to places where it could feed into springs further down the mountain in order to maintain the flow of the rivers during the dry season. Isn't that what we just talked about? Many ancient civilizations are known for their advanced construction of cisterns, canals, aqueducts, water channeling technology, including Persians, Nabataeans, Romans, Greeks, Harapans, and many more. Yeah, I mean, that's the common theme. I mean, you've only got to look at some of the, the Roman baths, the Turkish baths, the Grecan baths. Like that, that water was fresh all the time. It yeah. was heated, it was steamed. And you know, that's what right. I mean? like, how do you. And it was in in some places it was using thermals to do that you know they place those baths in those certain areas so mm-hmm. a lot of yeah working with the earth and what it what it provided what it provided yeah. absolutely speaking of what it provided steel this is an interesting one like so you think it's the one of the reasons the romans conquered half the world at that time is they found a, a better way to make steel yeah. Right. So half mm-hmm. the time they're literally fighting battles and they go to clash swords and the Roman one just slices the other one just yep. in half. Yeah. You know? Or isn't as brittle. Yeah. You know, um, doesn't bend. Flex it or, yeah. or, or, or bend. does flex does more flex. rather than shatter. Yeah. Yeah. Over 2000 years ago, ancient people in the Levant were forging swords made of steel so advanced that blacksmiths would not come close to creating anything of equal quality until modern times. The metal was so strong that the swords could slice straight through objects made of other metals. The steel, known as Damascus steel, was produced out of a raw material known as woot steel from Asia. Good start tonight. Other materials were added during the steel's production to create chemical reactions at the quantum level. It was first used around 300 BC, but was produced en masse in the Middle East between 1100 and 1700 AD. The secret of making the Middle East Damascus steel only re-emerged under the inspection of scanning electron microscopes in modern laboratories. It's true. It's true. I mean, you, you got to go to the, the Japanese, uh, the folded steel, some of the Viking swords that have been found mm-hmm. are still sharp. Like some of those axes, when they clean them yeah. up, they've still got an edge on them. I think there was a sword yeah. that, that was found too, a famous one mm. that was like, in good repair, like it yeah. was stra- in strangely good fucking condition for its age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they couldn't, um, yeah, I saw an axe head that was pretty rough. Yeah. And they cleaned it and yet had some chips out of the head, but it still had an edge on it. Like, yeah. they, you know, they yeah. didn't touch it. So, yeah. yeah, there's, there's, I mean, I don't know, they probably won't get to the glass, but just as another little aside, like the, the stained glass they find in some of those old churches and all that mm. sort of stuff. Same mm. thing. They can't. They still can't replicate yep. some of that stained glass that's in the early Gothic cathedrals. Yeah, they don't know how they did it. Right. And there's those. Uh, there's a um, a glass like a, a goblet, mm. a Roman one. I think there's something that's up on the page somewhere. And once you put something in it, or you 
shine light through it. It changes color and it's like all very finely carved, like mm. microscopic carvings. Yeah, interesting. And it and it, and it, it results. Uh, it um, reacts to light. And yeah. Substance. Okay. Yeah, it's weird. That's interesting. All right, concrete. Uh, today's concrete structures are typically designed to last between 100 and 120 years. However, the Romans built structures from concrete 2,000 years ago that have maintained their structural integrity to this day. So what was their secret? They knew what was in the mortar at the pyramids is their secret. The Romans made concrete by mixing lime, volcanic rock, and seawater. The combination of the three instantly triggered a chemical reaction in which the lime incorporated molecules into its structure and reacted with the ash to cement the whole mixture together. The ancient seawater concrete contains the ideal crystalline structure of tobramorite, which has a greater strength and durability than the modern equivalent. As well as being more durable, Roman concrete was also more environmentally friendly compared to today's concrete. Conventional modern cement requires heating a mix of limestone and clay to 450 degrees Celsius, which releases significant amounts of carbon into the atmosphere. In contrast, Roman cement used much less lime and it made from baking limestone at 900 degrees Celsius, requiring much less fuel. So, just a stupid question, why, why don't we use that now? You know what I mean? Like, what's... I'm going to say it probably all leads back to the money. Yeah, I was going to say that. Makes- it's probably the process we use. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're not building, buildings aren't made to last, last that long. Yeah. Um, so there's no need to go to that more arduous process possibly. Like maybe the, yeah, and maybe sourcing those materials is more costly. Because I don't mean, I know we use fly ash mm. from like... Um, coal-fired power plants and stuff like that to add to our concrete. So that's a byproduct. So you're probably getting that fairly cheap. Now, is that as good as... What's the quantity available to, I suppose? Yeah. You you can't... How much volcanic ash is there, I suppose? Exactly. How much... Yeah. So we're using fly ash instead of volcanic ash. Mm. Yada, yada, yada. Is the the material of the same quality? So, yeah, exactly. That's it. It's, It's more about supply and demand really road building yeah i like this these days we'd be lucky to get a decent highway built within a year but it was not always the way ancient people recognized the importance of roads and networks linking together cities and settlements across regions and countries and they built them fast oh there you go try that one Quapak nan known as the main andean road is a huge network of roads once used by the mighty inca empire that now extends oh, that extends for more than thirty thousand kilometers it was the backbone of the of the Inca's political and economic power, connecting production, administrative, and ceremonial centers of pre-Inca Andean culture. The Incas of Cuzco achieved this unique infrastructure on a grand scale in less than a century. I don't think that's true. Extending their vast network across what is now Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. The Romans, too, are known as expert road builders. About 1.7 square miles of its territory was covered by the Roman roads, which were made of the gravel, dirt, and bricks made from granite and hard lava. Many ancient roads are still used today. Look, that's true. I don't know that all the roads that are in South America are... The Incas are responsible for all those roads. I think there's multiple layers of culture, and I think I don't know whether... April's taking into account the LIDAR stuff. 
Yeah. Where they've found so many more roads now that actually yeah. crisscross the continent under yep. the under the foliage. That's very um, true. And yeah, I don't think they did them in a hundred years. I think mm. that was a yeah, someone built them during a yeah, period of yeah, time. Yeah. And yes, there's quite possibly more than one uh beginning yeah. of where that came from. Oh, that's what it is. My mic's going to fall off the table. Oh, whoa, hang on a minute. Hang on, guys. We're just gonna uh gonna pause for a second. Right, mate. We are back. Uh just a little uh technical issue. Technical issue sorted the, now. The microphone was falling off the uh off the little table that it's connected to. Let's jump back into the share so we know what we're doing. Last one for me, and you can take over, man. Stone cutting. Let's run straight back into stone cutting. Around the world, we can find numerous examples of ancient stone cutting so precise that they rival creations of the modern day produced with advanced machinery. One prime example can be found in Pumapunku, an ancient archaeological site in Bolivia. Dated by some historians to 15,000 years old that contains such incredible stonework that it looks as if the stones were cut using a diamond tool. Enormous blocks weighing up to 800 tons consist of perfectly straight edges that lock perfectly into each other and contain no chisel marks. Attempts to replicate the precision of the stonework have failed. So, yeah, so again, Pumapuku is a good way to give it an example. However... Pick your country as far as megalithic site as to, you know, which way you want to go with it. Exactly. Yeah. There's multiple across the world. Mm. Agriculture. (sighs) Human sacrifice is typically the first thing that comes to people's minds when they think of the Aztecs and other Mesoamerican cultures. However, there is much more to these civilizations than this practice. One of their innovations was the Chinampa agricultural system the so-called floating gardens, which can be found on the shallow lake beds in the Valley of Mexico. A Chinampa plot was constructed by staking out the rectangular enclosure into the marshy lake bed. The enclosure would then be fenced in by joining the stakes with wattle. After that, the fenced-in area would be filled with mud and decaying vegetation in order to prevent the roots from becoming waterlogged. It was important that the fill brought the Chinampa plot above the lake level. Canals surrounding the Chinampa plots formed an an illusion that these agricultural lands were floating on water. Hence, its misattribution misattribution as floating gardens. To further stabilise these plots of land, willows were planted around the perimeter. This is due to the dense root system, which over time anchored the retaining walls of the structure and reduced the effects of erosion. In order to ensure that the Chinampas produced good harvests throughout the year, it was vital that the supply of water was well managed. During the rainy season, flooding would have been a problem. Hence, a sophisticated draining system, drainage system, which included dams, sluice gates and canals, were put into place to counter this problem. By using human excrement to fertilize the crops, the Aztecs were also able to create a healthier living environment as the city's wastewater would have also been treated. Ah, that's interesting. Hmm. The system of agriculture and wastewater treatment seen in the floating gardens in Mexico 
was so advanced that there have been been attempts unsuccessfully to implement it in modern times. I didn't think about that. That's fascinating. Mm. But also, I was trying to remember when you were talking where I heard this. However, I think they believe that most of what we now call the Amazon was planted on purpose. Yes, the distribution of species within the Amazon. um, There's high concentrations of food species as though it's like a planted crop. Yeah, yeah. They, when you do a survey of, of the species, they just yeah, got exactly. out of control. No That's one, it. Was, it was just, just left yeah. unattended. unattended. Yeah, and because it worked, yeah. it kept going. Exactly. Yeah, and some of the and a lot of the stuff is like large tree stuff. Not, yes. Yeah, not like small crops. Hmm. So yeah, hmm. um, walls. Walls. I see. I think it's I very think, Inca. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say she's Inca centric. Very yeah. South American. Yeah. Um, the Inca civilization is well known for its advanced masonry work, much of which can still be seen today in Machu Picchu and Sexy Woman in Peru. In Peru. Sexy Woman? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about Sexy Woman. Um, sexy Woman? <laughs> large dry stone walls display huge blocks that have been carefully cut to fit together tightly without mortar and with levels of precision unmatched anywhere else in the Americas. The stones are so closely spaced that a single piece of paper will not fit between many of the stones. This precision, combined with the rounded corners of the blocks, the variety of their interlocking shapes, and the way the walls lean inward to prevent damage in the event of an earthquake, have puzzled scientists for decades. The method used to match precisely the shape of the stone with the adjacent stones is still unknown, and attempts to recreate the technique have all failed. I think the polygonal masonry, again, as we get further away from, wow, look at the pretty stones, Mm -hmm. the style of building is built to withstand, as as she said there, earthquakes, right? Yeah. It's built to last. It's Mm -hmm. built to, we're going to put this wall up and it's going to be here forever. Yep. Because it still is. However, I wonder where, was it just aesthetics that made Mm -hmm. us go with the square block? Mm -hmm. Or was it, did we lose the ability to even, because again, when you, what the other thing I thought about with polygonal masonry a little while ago was, it's not just about cutting and shaping the stone. It's it's about identifying that that stone can be cut in that shape and yeah. still retain its integrity. Yeah, because there's no fractures or seams That's or anything right. in You've it. You've got to that... be able to read the the geological makeup of the yeah. stone and understand that that's it will let you do that. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's again, it's it's much deeper than the surface. Yeah, you know? there's another level of science and technology. That mm-hmm. well, I, to I, I think some some level of it, of it could possibly be explained as just uh, production efficiency. So um, even if we did have the ability to do to to do that, possibly it still took a long time. It'd take a while to yeah. do. So if you're making identically sized blocks, you progress onto that, right? So you're now cutting rectangular shaped uh, blocks out of stone and then you go the next step from that is 
bricks. Yeah. You're like, hey, you know what's like way quicker than quarrying all this stone? Yeah. We get this mud and then we bake it or or we either fire it or we bake it mm. and we create blocks out of that. And that's even quicker again because we don't always have access to quarries. Maybe there's better access to clays and stuff yeah. closer to where we are. So there is some explanation that could say it was lost because of production efficiencies. Yeah, yeah. But then you also see the ability to to replicate that disappear you That's know right. when you see the older civilizations compared to the newer ones yeah. so maybe it was a little bit out of necessity mm. because like whatever knowledge whatever skills whatever technology we had that enabled us to do that yeah something happened mm -hmm. we lost the link yeah, lost the we tried yeah. to replicate it and we went fuck that's really hard yeah you know it's easier let's just make rectangles yeah you know, and because also the business plan of the human species kind of changes. Mm. Like you were saying before about uh, maybe possibly smaller population, mm -hmm. they thinking of more longevity. You know, yeah. Whereas this day and age, the the larger the population, it feels like we think less and less about longevity, more yeah. and more about production efficiency and and cost. Well, and well also we're right now we're thinking about recycling you know mm. so we we're pulling down those old building materials crushing them up and then reusing, reusing them, them yeah. as well yeah. as resources uh become scarcer as mm. we build more shit mm. too mm -hmm. so you know we kind of plan that in that planned obsolescence of of materials so yeah. as we can reuse them elsewhere so i'll tell you what one of the perspectives that mm. um steve gave me that i'd hadn't quite thought about it from that way yeah was he's like you know how we say we, we don't know how they did it yeah well somebody did you know mm -hmm. at the time it was known and it was easily done yes you know what i mean for whatever time whatever reason you know within that moment you could do it with ease mm -hmm. that's how mm -hmm. come you can build these magnificent structures yes you know exactly so it is known we don't know However, it, 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 it's not that it can't be known. Well, also, let's think about it in terms of like a modern story, right? Um, it is known how to make a mobile phone. Can you and I do it? Yes. No. No. That's right. <laughs> you know, so there's multiple fucking thousands of things within our current modern society yeah. that are possible, that we recreate all the time, but. 90% of the population cannot no do it. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. Speaking about no idea, I don't know how to plan a city, but the ancients did. I mean, well, this, this is, you know, you could dedicate some time to this as well. This is another one of those things where you see these, not just, again, looking at the macro instead of the micro, right? You zoom out and you look at the layouts yep. of these cities and how they were designed is pretty impressive. Definitely. Uh, scroll me. I, I, I think yeah. I missed one. So I'll do one and then you do the last two. I think. You reckon? I don't know. Yeah, that's fine. Sharon's Karen. Sharon's Karen. Book in. In the last century, numerous ancient cities have been unearthed that have been that have astounded scientists and urban planners alike. When archaeologists discovered the 5,000-year-old site of Mahenjadaro in Pakistan, what they found was unprecedented in the region, and the city demonstrated an exceptional level of civic planning and amenities. The houses were furnished with brick-built bathrooms, and many had toilets. Wastewater from these was led to a well-built brick sewers that ran along the centre of the streets, covered with bricks or stone slabs. Cisterns and wells finally constructed the wedge-shaped bricks 
held public supplies of drinking water, back in its day, the city would have been home for around 40,000 inhabitants. That's a decent size. In the same era, but on another continent, another great city was being constructed, Corral. Located in the Super Valley, Supi, Super, uh, Soup, Soup, uh, Peru, Corral is a 5,000-year-old city that consists of huge monuments, including pyramids, plazas, amphitheaters, temples, and residential areas. That extensive agriculture, a to varied diet, developed the use of textiles, used a complex system for calculating and recording, built water supply, and developed an intricate irrigation system. Architects are currently looking to Corral for inspiration in city planning. Japanese architects intend to incorporate building designs that they implemented to protect their people from earthquakes. There you go. The people of Corral suspended their houses in baskets filled with stones that dissipated earth movement and prevented collapse. See, again, obviously South American centric, and I don't know, I don't know about Corral, if I'm honest. No, I haven't heard the name before. No. So, you know, put that one on the list. However, again, the level of technology and then therefore understanding that you must have in order to achieve something like that. I saw city planning from a city in Africa somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, maybe Carthage or something like that. It might have been it was like the, the Carthaginians or something like that. Yeah. And you look at the Sumerian stuff as well. Like mm-hmm. for a long time, a vast percentage of this planet was clearly on another level. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. You know? like there's no, the fact that people still argue about that is ridiculous in my book but Mm -hmm. you know oh the stars mate astronomy from star constellations painted on ancient greek ceramics to native american rock art depicting solstices star charts in ancient japanese tombs australian australian aboriginal dreamtime stories reflecting known astronomical events and a ten thousand year old megalithic calendar in scotland there is no doubt that ancient civilizations around the world possessed an extraordinary understanding of the cosmos and its movements, but just how they were able to so precisely and accurately record cosmological events without the technology we possess today still eludes scientists in many cases. What is this? What is certain is that recent discoveries have revealed just how advanced ancient cultures were when it came to astronomical knowledge and that they were far from the primitive people they were once thought to be. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think we ended on the Dogon with the last episode. Where did that info come from? Yeah. Like, was it passed down to them? Because the stuff that they're reporting isn't isn't visible to the naked eye. That's right. So where is that info coming from? Yeah. How do you know? Yeah. You know, it's like, and we, you know, I think on a material level, the Antikythera device. I mean, we looked at that yep. one last one last mm-hmm. time as well. Mm-hmm. It was the last one, last one before whatever. And yeah, again, that's fully astronomical latitude, longitude, all that stuff. Yeah. And again the machine that built that machine had to be more precise than that machine is and had to have all the data be to be able to be inputted into that machine in order for it to work correctly. Yeah. You know, so who built the machine that built the machine? Exactly. And who, who recorded the data that built the machine that built the machine? Yeah, exactly. Either someone here with technology to know that, know that information or someone from somewhere else that brought the technology yeah yeah 
Righto, mate. Bring weapons. 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 Now, I number want. 10, bringing it home. While there is no doubt that modern-day weapons are far more superior to their ancient counterparts in their ability to unleash mass death and destruction, there exist a number of powerful ancient weapons that still elude scientists as to their construction and capabilities. Greek mathematician, engineer, inventor, and astrom- astronomer Archimedes from 287 to 212 BC is reported to have created a heat ray weapon, sometimes called the death ray, to defend against ships attacking Syracuse, an historic city in Sicily. According to second-day AD author Lucian and centuries later Anthemius of of Trials, the weapon was made of large reflectors, possibly made from polished bronze or copper, which were used to focus sunlight onto approaching ships, causing them to catch fire. Although its existence has been hotly debated among historians, a number of tests have been mm. accurately proven that such a weapon is possible. In 1973, the Greek scientist Luanosakis set up 70 mirrors with a copper coating, which were pointed at a plywood model of Roman warship. At a distance of 50 metres, when the mirrors were focused accurately, the ship burst into flames within seconds. There you go. That would be a cool one. And I mean, um, we're, we're reflecting light with, with uh, pa- like panels, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But there's also the opportunity to use lenses yeah, convex as well. Lens, convex, if, if, if you can lenses use lenses to help focus yep. as well, now you, you've got another level. Um, Practically got a laser beam, really. I mean, a bit of sunlight beam. I suppose you could say. In a way, it's because it's got a, it's, you know, when you use a magnifying glass to, to light a fire, it's, it's not a laser because the, the, the photons aren't running par, uh, parallel yes, to each true, other. True. They're still focusing at a point and that's mm. what causes that, the that heat, intense heat, heat yeah, yeah, yeah. at that point. But something that, that comes to my mind is uh, the current uh, thermal solar technology technology that they're putting into power plants yes. you know the big yep. round things where the convex mirrors all focus the light into one point yep, yep. sort of thing so it's like it's you know that's kind of, of the same version of that mm. i mean i know something you know archery is close to our hearts mm-hmm. uh i was reading something the other day that the average english like the the, the longbow mm-hmm. in england mm-hmm. could shoot accurately for th- at 300 yards Right, which is what three hundred and fifty meters or something like that. They yeah, which, which I read also something recently uh, may have been probably we might article. have had a conversation about yeah. it that um, the bows were like two hundred pounds. Yes, yes. Also, and you could actually they when they dig soldiers up, they know which ones were the archers because they're left. They're actually anatomically they're anatomically different. different to yeah, be able to hold and control the like you know to pull back that yeah, you got your first bow at six and yeah. that was your job and you just kept pulling that bow back yeah and yeah. they just kept giving you bigger and bigger bows mm. until you could launch an arrow 350 meters and hit someone exactly know? it's a bit like the vikings uh when they look at their some of their skeletons because mm. they rode so much yeah they have like enlarged tendons um just because in, in certain yeah. areas in certain joints because yeah. of that repetitive movement 
I mean, you think about uh, weapon technology, you've got it, you can't leave um, old Genghis off there as well. They're, that was almost a form of compound bow, how they built the, you know, how the, the, the bow went out like that. Yes. You know what I mean? It'd be, it enabled it to be pulled easily well, so they could fire. Because they were firing from horseback, yeah, they yeah. couldn't use a long, that longbow style yeah. to get their leverage. Yeah. So that's why they had to change that shape. And mm. they used to use animal sinews yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that to mold it. Um, to be able to get that poundage, that power and quick out of that bow yeah. across, with a small bow. I mean, again, what were they? They were shooting. They used to train to shoot when the horse's hooves were all in the air. Yes, at the same time. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's when you're. That's your constant. That's your constant. Yeah. Right. You wait for that. Yeah. And it's that. That's when you. That's loose. the pause. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, hundred percent. That's. You know that's that's weird, but they also used to shoot in a different way to like what what we do now. If we were to shoot to shoot a trad bow, mm. um, they held their arrows differently, they held their their bow differently, mm. and they they were more free flowing in their form. Uh, whereas What's we now that? we yeah. now are very locked into positions with our feet and our stance and our our um, the way in which we hold our bow, sort of thing. It's it's all it's all done differently um not so much because the technology has changed but because they were they were looking to shoot like as many as, as many as possible well, yeah i've been trying to think about it i used to know how many they would be able to loose in a mm. minute or something like this summer because i know the american indians same thing they could they held their arrows funny as well and they're basically just bang bang well bang. a lot of them would hold like three arrows yeah, yeah. In, in between the fingers. And like this, is, this is the stuff that I've seen mm. sort of done. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. And and just load one at a time. Mm. Yeah. It's, again, I suppose we are more for you know, either hunting or sport with archery. So it's not about we need to get as many arrows in the yellow as soon as we can. No. It's about how close can we get it to the center. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, it's interesting, man. I mean, even you think about some of the the early cannon technology was quite impressive. How far they could throw projectiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the, I think what comes to me is the opening scene in Gladiator, right, where they're fighting the Germans and they've got the fireball yeah. catapults and the and the yes. launching spears. Yeah, all of that. I went through. They call those like scorpions. Or yeah, something. scorpions. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The big like crossbow. Yeah, yeah. Mounted giant bow and arrow yeah yeah with a barbed end on it yeah yeah, they were pretty sick um and all that so that opening scene in gladiator was actually taken out of the right the roman writings right that was because mm-hmm. i mean like we said when we looked at balbeck uh you know the romans recorded everything yeah so i can't remember who the is it ridley scott was gladiator it doesn't matter but yeah the, i think it was yeah i think it was but that was an accurate depiction of mm-hmm. a of a caesar's battle Right, because yep. the the historians or the you know the record keepers at the time recorded the formations, recorded the technology. You know, it's like yeah, on my mark, unleash hell. You know, yep. that's basically what it is. Just yep. load up all these jars full of, you know, pitch, pitch, burning pitch. Yeah, yep, you know, forty thousand scorpions and you know archers and just yeah, ready one, two, three. Yeah, have at it. You know, yep. like yeah, it's insane. Ah, it's fuck insane. yeah. Well, mate, do you want to jump into? Uh, the book so let's do it let's jump into the book thanks to the boys that uh yeah that liked that one they liked that one it was a good uh it's a good article mm, mm. 
So we left off talking about the Dogons. And again, I think we need to dedicate more time to them at some point. However, yeah, definitely. we're going to jump into the giant balls of Costa Rica. Giant balls. What was that noise, mate? That was my little message yeah. coming through. Yeah. Uh, someone's messaging, unlocking the code. Thanks, Nathan, for messaging, unlocking the code. I'll get Thank you very tonight. much in real time. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, mate. We've got a Discord happening. <laughs> Uh, the giant stone balls of Costa Rica. Yet such proof may have already been long ago provided by an amazing discovery in the 1930s by workmen clearing the land for a banana plantation. While burning and hacking away the jungle, the workmen literally stumbled across scores of stone balls that have somehow been shaped and placed into the forest. Many of these balls are perfectly spherical. <laughs> Excuse me. I, was... <laughs> I had like a, a little little burp hiding in there and it's like i just anyway sorry guys sorry no mistakes no mistakes oh have you set swinging by mistakes have you set the rocket clock mate no not at all good that's good (laughs) thank you for reminding uh many of these balls are perfectly spherical and vary greatly in size ranging from the size of a tennis ball to around eight feet in diameter and weighing up to 16 tons and are at great distances from each other with no apparent design to their positioning these spherical stones are quite obviously not a natural occurrence. Who may have had them and placed them at their locations or why remains a complete mystery. Some have theorized that the area was once a huge scale map of the solar system, but unfortunately too many of the stones have now been moved from their original locations to know whether or not this may have been the case. These spheres are also cut to perfection and are incredibly smooth. Cutting a large stone into absolute perfect sphere is an extremely difficult undertaking. The methods that may have been used to achieve such flawless results is also totally baffling. It's a good picture of the sphere there. I mean, the the those stones, I think they're found. Yeah, I think what do you that was that Bolivia you was talking about there or Costa Rica? I know they found some now that since then they've found some in Scotland. They've found some in uh more in South America. I think they've found some uh Argentina or something like that, somewhere around there. They've found yep. many more of these balls, right? Yep. Um, Pane Andoff, he uh, had an excellent podcast with us last year, mm. thinks that they may have been a weapon without throwing. I mean, talk about massive devices, you know what I mean? If you're Trebuchet, like, throwing well, big Yeah, stones. or gravity devices or something like that, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just dropping them from a great height. Yeah. But again, you'd probably see damage, I suppose. But yeah, there's, there's, it's not just well, circles. Very rigor. strong though, like that's the whole reason. Like an egg, yeah. egg, eggs are round, sort of thing, is because they, they uh, get a, I don't know what the kind of strength you'd yeah. call that, but not tensile strength, but yeah. But it, it basically about. it spreads the stresses because there's no corners. Mm. It spreads the stresses throughout. Mm. So yeah, yeah. But there is more. There's more of those giant balls that have been found, and no one really knows what they're for Hmm. interdusting and we can't date them you know well they're stone you can only date the fucking algae that grows on the outside of them the lands how stone lands how stone is it china lands how stone land zoo land zoo yeah probably zoo zoo being china being china land maybe yeah let's do that land zoo stone a truly amazing object has recently come to light in the form of an uncommon stone with a threaded metal bar inside it that was recently found by Mr. Zilhin Wang in China, near to the Mazong Mountain region on the borders of Gansu in the Zhejiang provinces. 
The mysterious stone is pear-shaped, about 6 by 8 centimetres, and extremely hard and weighs 466 grams. Incredibly, the rock is a type that is totally unknown, suggesting that it may, in fact, be a meteorite. It was not only due to its unknown makeup that the item has attracted enormous attention from many geologists and collectors around the world, but also because the startling, startling artifact possibly uh, I think so yeah, contains within it, as reported in the Lanzu Morning News on June 26, two thousand and two. There you go. What do we say back in the start, early two thousands, mm-hmm. when he wrote this? So there you go. That's yeah. More than 10 geologists and global physicists from the National Land Resources Bureau of Gansu Province, Coloured Metal Survey Bureau of Gansu Province, the Institute of Geology and Minerals Research of China Academy, Lanzu Branch, and the School of Resources and Environment of Lanzu College gathered to study the origin of this mysterious stone. Oh, yeah, that one. After a discussion about its possibility of being man-made and the possible reasons for its formation, the scientists unanimously labelled the stone as one of the most valuable in China and the world for collection, research, and archaeological studies. Look at that. Yeah, I've seen that. There's an, there's an article about that up on the page. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's that stone with the threaded bar in it. Yep. Mm, that's cool. Mm. During the discussion, the scientists proposed many hypotheses about the formation of this stone, but found all incredible. The screw-threaded metal bar is tightly enclosed in the black lithical material. Neither the bar's entrance to the stone nor the exposed bar tip appear to be man-made. Moreover, the screw-thread thread width remains consistent from the thick end to the thin end, instead of varying due to the growth of organisms. One of the hypotheses says that this stone could be a relic from prehistoric civilization, since a civilization equivalent to ours is thought to have existed on Earth before our current one. Another theory is that it could be a stony meteorite and could have brought the information of an extraterrestrial civilization. At the end of the conference, all scientists agree that further research is needed to address questions such as how the stone was formed and whether the metal bar is truly metal before the visitor from outer space mystery can be solved. What this stone and threaded object still remains anybody's guess at the moment, but if it is indeed a meteorite, then it has provided us with unquestionable proof that we are not alone. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's... Dude, yeah, <laughs> about talking to thin air. Yeah. Um. No, nah, that's a yeah. It's a it's a mystery. Mm. It's, it's oops art. Mm. What's a threaded rod doing in there? In a piece of stone with unknown origin. Mm. You know what mm. I mean? It's mm. that's it's just one of those things where it's like, I feel like all you all you're ever going to have is hypotheses. Yeah. Because it's just too far out of place. What was that? That other those things found in Russia look like little baby springs and that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know? like that shit. Yeah, you know, something's exploded and left a, you know, you know what? You know, we've smashed plenty of electrical devices. I'm sure little springs and stuff went into the dirt. And- exactly of all different types of rare earth minerals yeah, yeah, and yeah. shit like that. Yeah. Well, we're nearly at the end of the second chapter, mate. So I'll do a couple, then you do a couple, and we'll finish it off, eh? Um, The Colorado pavement. Sometimes people really do find things right in their own backyard. In 1936, a man named Tom Kenny was digging a vegetable cellar on his property in the Plateau Valley on the western slopes of the Rocky Mountains in Colorado when his progress was suddenly halted. His pick struck a slab of stone at a depth of about 10 feet. Further digging revealed a smooth and level pavement made of a five-inch square handmade tiles that had been laid with mortar. Analysis of the mortar also revealed there was a different chemical composition to anything else that can be found locally, further adding to the mystery. 
Scientists cannot fathom the mystery of the pavement and can only agree that it is between 20,000 and 80,000 years old. The problem again is that the pavement was found at the same geological era as the three-toed Miocene horse, which reputedly roamed the area for around 6 to 30 million years ago. Oops, the pavement still exists on the Kenny property today. I've seen photos of that Colorado pavement. It's actually very fascinating. And the other says the Kentucky pavement. Look, I think there was some stuff going on. I mean, if the younger dryas, you know, obviously it's it, it did destroy most of America. How advanced were they on the American continent before that happened is an interesting question. The Kentucky pavement. Another discovery similar to the pavement discovered in Tom Kenny's property in Colorado was made by workmen digging at the Blue Springs, Kentucky. At first, the men discovered the bones of a mastodon at a depth of around 12 feet. However, further digging three feet deeper, they uncovered a broad stone pavement of totally unknown origin that was constructed of large, neatly cut stone slabs resembling a road of some kind. Who could have, who could have paved the road to the Rocky Mountains so long ago now that it lies 15 feet below the ground? Again, that sounds. Um, I think I'm conflating this with another one. I think it was in California mm. where they they were building a road, and in the road cut, I think they found mastodon bones. Yeah, and the mastodon bones had like it looked like human um, incisions yes. on the bones yeah, 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 and stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, I think just the fact that. Yeah, there was mention of roads and mastodons. I'm like, hang on a minute. There's all sorts of stuff Kentucky. like that. There's all sorts of stuff like mm. that. A fruit that shouldn't exist. You can take that. That sounds nah, like you, mate. still you, mate. It's still, still you. <laughs> I've just rolled a dart. Okay. I've included this last little tidbit in the riddles section simply because I think it's interesting and just because it may give you something to think about in your everyday life. Something that is really most strange. Most people are completely unaware of this fact, but there is a fruit that is eaten by millions of people all around the world every day that is quite remarkable and all reality shouldn't exist. Yeah, I'm of course talking about the banana. Bananas are actually the most mysterious fruit in the world because bananas have no seeds and what makes this even more mysterious is the fact that they are found in almost every country in the world. Now that may not sound odd at first, but let me fully explain this enigma to you. Firstly, banana plants are not trees they are actually a perennial herb. The trunk of the plant is really nothing more than the plant's outer leaves. The real stem of the plant doesn't actually become visible until it pushes through at the top of the fruit to until it pushes out through the top to produce the large purple flower that will eventually develop into the fruit. Then having finished its perennial reproductive cycle, the plant dies. The problem here is that with the reproductive style of banana, cycle of banana, seeds are completely absent from the mature fruit. A new seedling known as a sucker can only ever be generated from a piece of the plant's rootstock. And yet bananas are found in almost every place on, on earth, even on quite remote and isolated islands. How in the world did they get there? Did they all get there? The seeds certainly weren't carried across the oceans by prevailing winds. To fully appreciate this anomaly and first consider that the only other seedless plants that exist anywhere in the world are things like seedless grapes, navel oranges, and the many genetically modified varieties of commercial vegetables that can all now be purchased. The point is, any other seedless plants that exist anywhere in the world are all that way because they've been genetically modified. And yet here we are, we have the humble banana, which is the only food in existence that contains exactly the correct requirements of vitamins and minerals for a man's metabolism completely. It's true. 
It is the only food that man can have live on a healthy, live on healthy by itself without complete nutrition. It is found all over the world, and yet we have no knowledge on how it could possibly have come into being. It seems that a highly improbable that the worldwide distribution of a seedless fruit that is perfectly tailored for the sustaining man would have just somehow happened. It is extremely unlikely for such a plant to have ever been produced by nature all on its own. Many people believe that somehow, somewhere, sometimes, someone in our far distant past genetically engineered bananas into the widely dispersed and remarkably nutritious plant that we find everywhere in such abundance today. These people cite that bananas are living daily proof of an ancient culture that spanned the entire globe in remote prehistory. Botanists also now tentatively agree that the spread of the banana plant appears to have radiated outward from the Pacific region. The banana plant, incidentally, is not a fruit or vegetable, but it does reach a height of around 30 feet at maturity, which makes it the world's largest herb and the tallest plant in existence does not have a woody trunk. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard about the banana man. And see, like you get, you have bananas in PNG, mm-hmm. completely different, right? Yep. They're a lot smaller. Uh, you can eat them when they're green. Yep. They sort of taste similar. That They're probably tastier, actually, I would say, mm-hmm. than the mass-produced bananas that we get. Yeah, now. yeah. Because um, again, they grow wild in PNG. They're just just trees and you know, well, yeah. not, you know, herbs and herbs of them, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but I imagine you're a bit of a plant person. What do you think about the banana? Well, look, you've got um, you've got our mass-produced stuff, like you like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So where my mind lays with this is um, the widespread nature of a of a herb that shoots suckers is unexplainable in terms of it has to be moved. You have to be breaking off those suckers and literally moving them Mm. to different places. You can't eat the fruit and birds shit the seeds out or carry it by wind. Like nothing other than because you've also physically planting variations. You have to look after that after that sucker mm. you know what i mean when you break it off you have to care for it you gotta give it some water to, it's to be able something. to move it onto yeah. this uh, other place so you would think if there was no human intervention wherever they originated they would still be there and they would there would be groves and that's that's as far as they would extend yeah but obviously um a human population once upon a time saw the significance of this plant now do i think this plant was um, originally genetically modified to be the way it is. No, I think like you're saying about PNG, I think it was possibly a wild thing that that just uh, developed mm. that that sort of thing, and and it was going to quite possibly just live happily in its own area by itself and mm. and just reproduce that way. You know, just these big groves. Mm. Um, but we as humans went, hey, we can see the intrinsic value of this mm. of this fruit. Mm-hmm. So then we started we started um, propagating it and and moving it. As it's moved areas, it's changed. Yeah, um, different soil types, different soil types, types exactly stuff, different yeah. uh, seasons, different temperatures, yeah. and we've then also selected different plants that gave us bigger fruit. Yeah, this cetera, is a good one. Let's let's try and get as many of this exactly. One as we can. So yeah, we yeah. keep that one because the genetics are slightly different. We keep breeding that one up. So over time, there would have been some selection, mm. and this is well before the commercialization. Yeah. So the value was there. Um, we went, hey, it's easy. It's a, it's abundant. It grows. Hell, I've got. What have I got? One, two, three, four, 
think I've got four bananas there now. Yeah. And like I've got probably my biggest one at this point in time is about five meters. Yeah. Yeah, about five meters. So what's that? Fifteen feet. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's they grow like fucking weeds, man. They yeah. are they're really um hardy. Is that the well, word? No, not only hardy, but uh for the person growing them, they're very satisfying. Yeah. Because they just grow. They just, grow. They just yeah. go crazy. When you get them in the right spot, they take off. And I'm actually finding now. I need to break, I'm breaking suckers off because they're so abundant. Yeah, right. I'm breaking suckers off and just throwing them out because mm. I'm like, I don't need any more. Don't need any more. Yeah, yet. because it's going to take up too much you space. Have a banana plantation out the back, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they're very Dude. satisfying. They they grow very easily when you put them in fertile soil. Um, but they are everywhere. I suppose the fascinating thing to me, again, thinking about its distribution. Yeah. Like, how did they get yeah. everywhere? I remember. Prior to knowing anything along this, the lines of this theory, I remember asking people, where did bananas originate from? And just as a general topic, no one can ever fucking no answer knows. you. Yeah, no, no one, one knows. actually knows. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really weird one. It is. A, I'll, I'll tell you what, we're at the end, mate. I'll finish it off. I'll finish it off. And, then we'll, have a, and then we'll, uh, we'll bring it home, big fella. Let's have a look. Loose ends. The amount of objects similar to the ones we have just discussed that have actually been found on our planet is staggering and ten- continually growing. I think I saw a number 75,000, something like that, pieces of oops art. I mean, you know, coincidai. When are we going to get to coincidai? You know what I mean? Uh, how many pieces, how many oops ups do you need? You know what I mean? Yeah. As you can see, with many of these artifacts, are absolutely unexplainable, absolutely do not fit in any way with our currently accepted framework of history at all. In fact, many of them go so far as to disprove our current theories on the past completely. How is it that a scholar can ask us to accept the theories they've offered us as fact, yet in order for us to do so, they ask that we ignore the abundant physical evidence that is right before our eyes? Could it be because the hard evidence completely undermines the very theory that they are asking us to believe? I think that's exactly it. Exactly it. Uh, there are many other strange and out-of-place artifacts, oops-arts, uh, that have... I don't know why I call it oops-art. Uh, yeah, me neither. Yeah. Oops. I think it just rolls out of the mouth better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that have been found that are not included in this list and many unconfirmed stories of others. For the purpose of this work, I prefer to deal with only anomalies that I've been able to abs- been able to substantially confirm. There are many other reports, although perhaps not quite as compelling because many could have either been forged or misinterpreted. Some of the interesting to say the least. A gold thread, I've heard this one, a gold thread stuck in rock. In 1844, the London Times reported that workmen quarrying stone near River Tweed in Scotland unearthed a piece of gold thread embedded in the rock eight feet below ground level. level. A much too old screw. A two-inch metal screw was apparently discovered in a piece of feldspar unearthed in 1865 from the Abbey Mine in Treasure City, Nevada. The screw had long since oxidized and disappeared, but the impression of its form, particularly the slotted head shape of the thread, could still be clearly seen within the feldspar. The piece of feldspar that contained the screw had been calculated to be around 21 million years in age. In 1851, and as reported in the Illinois Springfield Republican, a man named Haram DeWitt had found a fist-sized chunk of auriferous quartz while on a trip to California when DeWitt accidentally dropped the rock and it cracked apart. A cut iron nail was found inside. 
the quartz was about a million years old. Bones found in rock. A man by the name of Ed Conrad reportedly, reportedly discovered some impossibly old human bones trapped in rock in Pennsylvania. The remains had been fossilized and were trapped within solid shale. The bones appeared to be human, but the rock they were found in was between 280 and 300 million years old. There's that number again. Mm-hmm. Grand Canyon money, mummies. Oh, man, I think the more I see about the Grand Canyon and that sort of Colorado, all that area, Death Valley, all around there, there was something there, man. Mm-hmm. There was something there. Uh, there's too much stuff that this this moment, this some good Smithsonian. Yeah, good England tonight, mate. Uh, the Smithsonian has been no, no, we didn't see that. Yes, you know, like there's too many again coincidences. Yes, too many coincidences. In 1931, Doctor F. Bruce Bruce Jesus Russell <laughs> said, "I'd bring it home." I didn't. Yeah, stumble it. Stumbling home. Stumbling home. It's like a big night out. Yeah. Is reported to have found strange underground tunnels in the Death Valley area of the canyon. Russell claimed to have discovered winding tunnels containing artifacts that appeared to be of a combination of Egyptian and American Indian cultures. He said that he had found mummified remains that were over eight feet tall at the site. Russell returned with a group of men but was unable to locate the entrance again. No one has ever since rediscovered the mysterious tunnels Russell claims to have found. I don't think that's true. Strange skeletons. In 1888, seven skeletons were reportedly found in a burial mound just outside Clearwater, Minnesota. All of the skeletons were anatomically correct except for the skulls, which had double rows of teeth both in the upper and lower jaws. The foreheads were also unusually low and sloping with prominent brows. All had been buried in a sitting position facing the lake. I haven't heard of those ones. I wonder if they had red hair. Yeah, red hair. Yeah. Six fingers. Yeah. Uh, I'll, 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 hybrids is on the list to talk to about Bob, by the way, because he's mm-hmm. he's currently got five, he got eight, nine days left as we record this of his uh, last big trip to all the sites in South America. Yep. Um, so yeah, he's coming on in the next little while. Okay. And we've got a a long list. We might, we're probably going to do uh, two or three episodes, maybe. Yeah. I'm going to set it up with him, and we're going to. Okay. Like over a few weeks, over a few weeks, and uh, punch into a, a few subjects per yes. episode. Yeah, sort of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. he's he's sort of culminating twenty plus years of research. Um, awesome, and he's he's relaunching his show. Yeah, and what he wanted to do, and what we're sort of deciding to do is, I'm going to help him do that. Right, so he's yeah. he's I'm going to interview him, and you know we're going to sort of swap cast them. As some of his initial content for his, yep. yeah, so that's pretty cool. Oh, cool! That's awesome. Um, but yeah, the red hair Paracas hybrids are—they're on the list, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, not only that, but giants. Yeah, giants as well. Yeah, because yeah. mound building, sloping forehead. Yeah. Double row of teeth. Yeah. Red haired, six fingered giants. Mm-hmm. Eight feet tall. Eight feet tall. Yeah. The Salzburg Cube. In 1885, a strange steel cube was found embedded inside a block of coal. The edges were sharp and straight, and later tests confirmed that the object most definitely to be artificially manufactured. The device showed every sign of being machine-made and appeared to even possibly be a small part of a much larger instrument. We have no real idea how many other enigmatic artifacts, 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 and items of tremendous significance have simply been labelled error and tucked away in a basement drawer in a museum somewhere never to see the light of day and that that's the thing 
we must then pause to question how such a thing could ever be allowed to happen. Just one of these anomalies should give one reason to pause. But when the sheer volume and unpublicized nature of them becomes apparent, it gives cause for alarm. And there are dozens and dozens of such anomalies that can be found all over the world. I could fill an entire volume of such finds and have merely scratched the surface with this list. There are certainly enough of them to challenge the dis disciplines of traditional science. Because they don't fit with the conventional theories and in some instances may even disprove them, these anomalies and, and exceptions to the academic rule are almost always rejected out of hand. Such an attitude can only be described as most unscientific mindset. If theories are never to be challenged, if no one in science is ever willing to be proved wrong, if mankind ever becomes egotistical enough to claim that now we already know all there is to know and have discovered all there is to discover, then sadly we have no science, no future, and have lost sight of ourselves. Well, uh, yeah, Max. Um, we may have reached that point. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, we've definitely lost sight of ourselves, man. <laughs> definitely. And uh, with a B2 bomber uh, traversing the sky this afternoon, the future is looking rosy. Uh, the real point here is that these artifacts cannot simply be dismissed as curios and thrown by the wayside because they don't fit within the academic framework of history. They exist. That is simple fact. So if accepting the fact that these artifacts actually exist is contrary to our own current idea of history, then what are we to do? They exist. And when all said is done, it's as simple as that. And it really is. Uh, our view of history is quite obviously wrong, and instead of perpetuating an idea we know to be totally erroneous, we should be attempting to discover the real truths. Isn't that what intelligent and rational people are supposed to do? Well, isn't that how mankind should progress towards the future? I hope so, man. However, you are in Mexico, so it is pretty obvious just by these artifacts alone that there is definitely something going on here and that we're not being told about. When one considers the significance of these artifacts, the implications to disprove what we know as history and the unwillingness of academia to present them for scrutiny or in many cases even acknowledge their existence, is conspiracy a too strong a word? Not being able to thus rely on our numerous and trusted institutions to keep us informed, we are therefore forced to seek out the truth in these matters for ourselves. Hold on, folks, because when you attempt to investigate the true nature of these artifacts, as many others have attempted to do so before us, it can seem for, for a while that the going just gets weirder. <laughs> Never a true word spoken, Max. Yeah, mate. We're, 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 we're about to turn five, by the way. Um, Ooh, getting older. Yeah. Uh, and it does just get weirder. And when you, I know, you know, it's, mm. I, I, just have, I just have one, I guess, if I could play devil's advocate yep. just for a moment. Sure. Exactly. I agree with everything that Max has just said. But if you could also, if you look at it from a different perspective, possibly even how, possibly even in a scientific manner, okay? Uparts, um, yes, they exist. But most of the time, a lot of the stuff is, is dated to be of a time where it's so far back in history, you know, a lot of it like 300 million years ago, right? Yeah. It, it predates the end of like the dinosaurs mm. sort of thing. So as the stretch of time gets longer and longer, yeah, the 
I guess what I'm trying to say is the evidence around. So if we were to do uh, an archaeological dig, mm. we find multiple points of reference mm. within that dig. You might find some like some evidence of a fire. You yeah. might find some bones. You might find some uh, tools. Yeah. So you can find multiple things in one area. Yeah. These things are usually standalone by themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's what just makes them so... It's not, there's no group. So inex- unexplicable. Mm. So when Max talks about, like, why are they excluded, it's because it's possibly, possibly it was never intentional yeah. to so much exclude them. And maybe to begin with, they were like, there's only going to be a few of these, you know, but like we say, now that it's building up to more and more and more, mm. it's obvious that there was something back there, but like, it's like, you can't, it's just so hard because the span of time is so long mm. and the pieces of evidence are so far spread apart. Mm. They don't relate to each other. Mm. Um, there's some gold, there's some, there's the odd screw, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, there's possible, evidence of something technological but will you ever be able to describe it and the thing is if you're trying to construct a cohesive theory yeah and you take these anomalous things into account Mm. they are so anomalous and they they fuck with your theory so much that yeah of course you're going to exclude them because they that they are a they are a thing on their own yeah you can't you can't because their, their dates are so far out, mm. they don't fit with any. Mm. Who, who the fuck has a theory for 300 million years ago? That's right. What you know what I mean? 300 million years who ago. The f- who, who has who, that? Who no one. Yeah. No one. Yeah. The only theory is that possibly someone come from somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like a, it was like us doing a Mars expedition. But is it, is it, is it a scope of understanding as well? Because if we... Look, the one thought that I, the one thought and process that I can't get out of my head, yeah, is how we date things and does stuff get accelerated through catastrophe and heat and movement and blah blah blah, whatever it are, is. Right? Are we wrong about like the for uh, the forming of coal? Yes, like the process. Yes. So, so maybe typically there may be a procedure that does mm. take. X amount of years mm. and Y amount of pressure and, and mm. Z amount of heat. Yes. But if you increase the heat and increase the pressure, yeah. do the years go down? Yeah. Do they accelerate? Do you they know what, accelerate? I'm, you what, know what, what I'm saying? So like under catastrophic circumstances, mm. can, can you create stuff that seems to be 300 million years old yeah. uh, in, in 12,000 years or 20,000 years? Yeah. Or yeah, hundred, whatever it or is, or hundred thousand years, or seventy thousand years, and so if if we accept on the face of it that the Earth is four point five billion years old, or whatever it is, right? That three hundred million is only ten percent of the Earth's life ago, as well. Exactly. So, is it a scope problem as well? Is it we don't have the the brain power? Hundred percent. It is actually grasp it is. that potentially three hundred million years ago there was something going on here. Yeah. Like, well, we have the ability when we're, we're able to uh, find, like, organic imprints of things. Right? Yeah. We're happy to accept creatures yes, and sort of plan those out, but we're not happy to accept anything technological. No, that's right, yeah. 
anything to do with it because yeah, i mean we can't we can't us. agree over stuff that happened possibly fucking eight nine ten thousand years that's ago right, yeah we can't agree over that there's yeah. argument and contention over that that's true so it's like how how the hell are we going to agree on anything that is 300 million years old yes you know what i'm saying yes. there's never going to be enough evidence mm. that that any one theory could prevail mm. because it's like it's just too far and it's just too much yeah and I think there is a, uh, you know, it's something we've discussed here a lot, is that there's a certain level of hubris that the modern man has where we have to, no, it is what it is, mate. You know? Yeah. So don't, don't trust the science, man. Yeah. You know? When you question science, you're questioning, yeah. you know, right? Well, let's let's look at, like, the part of the things that we do what well, that, that, like, are agreed upon about 300 million years ago, yeah. right? It, we we can study like atmospheric uh, conditions, yep. sort of thing. Because volcanic can, activity, volcanic activity, organic life. Because like like digging up a archaeological dig from twelve thousand years ago mm. with organic life, with a the way it's structured. Like if you're looking at whatever creatures were there mm. three hundred million years ago, mm. the way they're assorted in that layer of rock, you know, the different fossilized yeah, yeah, things, yeah. you can you can try to put together an understanding, but then in amongst that, if you throw a fucking steel cube, that's right. It's like, yeah. how do we explain that? There's yeah. no, like I can, yeah. I can look at this society of creatures yeah. and I can kind of work out. Yeah, here's your anthropods and uh, carnivores, sort of herbivores, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, due to concentrations yeah. and forms and stuff that you can see, yeah. but you throw an anomalous fucking steel sphere in there that is perfectly yeah. fucking symmetrical and yeah. it's like how do we explain that i yeah. can't so in science's defense i guess i don't know if this maybe maybe at some point it was mm. um purposely excluded but to begin with you just exclude the things you can't explain yeah you, you can't create a theory when yeah. when you can't explain what that is mm. but you can you can talk about the other stuff that you can kind of explain that that you can yeah you can see some you can sort put of theories too yeah yeah exactly so yeah. I, that's you know i'm just sort of saying in terms of like sometimes it's pointed at that it's it's unscientific mm. and it's like maybe it's not so much unscientific it's just maybe it is scientific yeah, what do you do with it the yeah. fact that we can we can fucking measure this yeah we can we can study that we can look at that under a microscope and mm. we can understand how these things correlate together mm. but then that doesn't correlate and it's not that i don't want to talk about it it's just that it makes it doesn't, no sense it makes no sense to be yeah. there so i don't know what it is and i think there's also probably a bit of uh as you say confusion like what is this and exactly. what is it doing here yeah and well as a scientist i don't want to present that either because now i'm I'm fallible. Yeah. It's like, I can talk in length about all yeah. of this, but then there's this here that if I present that, I'm like, well, I don't know. But see, I wonder uh, why you, what, you know, because we talked about where they dug up the Clovis tips that they've dug deeper. Deeper. And they found more stuff. Yes. So it's like, like we've said earlier, good spot's a good spot. Good spot's a good spot. Right? So, you know, you could advance archaeology by digging deeper at the good spots, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. has anyone dug beside the walls of Baalbek? You know, stuff mm -hmm. like that. You know, what like what are we, what are we actually doing here? Good spots, a good spot. You know, maybe that would provide some 
answers. But I do think, you know, the curse of the modern man is the narrative, isn't it, right? It's the narrative that has been carefully constructed and controlled for the last, or basically since the Industrial Revolution. You know, I think that there's been a narrative, you know, Darwin and all these sorts of things. There's been a story Mm -hmm. about us, about our history, about what it is, you know, and that is if you, you know, if we were to drop everything now and go back to university and learn history, that is what we would be told. Yeah. Right? Whereas here at UTC and, you know, many other thousands of researchers across the globe are quite seriously going, well, hang on a minute. No, that's not true. Mm. Uh, parts or, of it are true. You're excluding this evidence yeah. that, that could possibly, as we're advancing, we started excluding it back in Victorian times. Yeah. But as our technology is advancing, and we can see that we can actually yeah. start to correlate some of these things together now. So maybe it's time to stop excluding the 75,000 different bits of UPART mm-hmm. and start to to group them and look at them together. Yeah, where where are the similarities? Yeah. You know, you said, like you said before, lack of grouping. Okay, yeah. we've got that many now. Yeah. Let's put all the screws Let's together. Go back. Let's start. Look, yeah. yeah. Let's put all the screws That's together. Right. Let's put all the springs together. Let's are the, all, are the screws you know, all cut with a similar thread. Are the yeah. threads the, the same yeah, the size? Thread is the same. Yeah, exactly. exactly. All that kind yeah. of shit. We could start to correlate some of that information. Yeah. That's nah, interesting. Man. Well, mate, I don't know. Do you want to... Um, That's you want us. To, what? Do you want to tie that up? For That's that? tied up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we'll... We'll, we'll, we'll uh, start next time on Chapter 3 yeah. of Lost Explorers. Dude, I was reading that. Oh, you were reading that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and Ancient Mysteries. Yeah. So yeah, look, that was look. I I thoroughly enjoyed that uh, through the Oopsart. I think really blew my mind. I think you know the whole dating research question that we have cultivated that I sort of started throwing around that we're going to probably keep digging into mm-hmm. the catastrophe it accelerates it. Um, I know Bob found it interesting. Do you know who I'd love to throw it at? I'd love to throw it at Randall. Oh yeah, most definitely. I'd love to throw it at Randall and see, yeah, whether or his not, thoughts on the yeah on whether the whole or not matter. whether or not he would actually come at it. Uh, yeah, this is awesome, man. Uh, that's the end of part quarter. Uh, yeah, see you again next time, man. Awesome. Peace out. Thanks. Dude. Catch you later. Cheers, Cheers. man. Just want to go again. Let's do it. Yeah, again. All right. I know you've been here before No surprises settle the score I know the darkness deep inside Reckless rage
better.